Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Starting Small Music Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McCormick, and today we have a very special guest with us. We have hit songwriter and producer, Will Weatherly. Now, you've heard some of Will's biggest songs, such as writing Thinking About You for Dustin Lynch, Good As You for Kane Brown, and also one of the funniest and clever songs I've heard in a long time in country music, Worst Country Song of All Time that he wrote with Hardy and was released with Hardy, Brantley Gilbert, and Toby Keith. You're going to hear his story of growing up in Ocala, Florida, and how he got into music. I hope you guys enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. How you doing today, Will? What up? So, getting right into your story, you were born in Ocala, Florida. What was your childhood like? It was super musical. I kind of grew up in the church. My uh, parents both met and got married at, and my dad played drums in the band. And then he uh, he also just kind of like grew up playing in bands. And my mom was in the choir, played piano, and played oboe in the orchestra and piano. So I was like constantly around, you know, even at home, just them constantly playing music. And then my uncle played guitar. So it was like from the very beginning, you know, I got my dad's old drum kit. My uncle bought me my first guitar when I was probably six or seven. And then my mom always had me in piano lessons, you know, whether I liked it or not. So it was For just sure. literally from the very beginning, it was kind of like always musical and they were always very supportive, you know, just trying to keep me doing it. Yeah. Now, what was the first instrument you actually picked up? Was it the piano when your mom put you into lessons? I think technically probably should have been piano, but the one I really gravitated towards was drums, you know, just playing along to like the radio or CDs that they had, you know, like Brian Adams or Journey or Dave Matthews, I, I'd try and keep up, you know, but it was pretty impossible back then starting out. I thought that the drums were kind of fun. My mom had me in lessons with piano super early, so it was kind of more of a chore. <laughs> like it was like more homework than anything. <laughs> so drums was definitely when I especially started transitioning to playing at church and in bands, it was always kind of drums was the first instrument, you know. Now, did you end up take? Did you take over your dad's job as the drummer at the church then? Uh, you know, I probably would have, but we uh, we moved around enough to where by the time I was actually playing, he was kind of phasing out of playing every Sunday morning, and I was kind of starting to play for the youth groups around town. I had friends kind of at all of them, and they'd schedule. There's like five different drummers, so you can only play like once a month. So I think I went to every youth group because some of them were Wednesday night, some of them were Monday night. You know, I just constantly like. So I could get on the schedule and be playing, you know, a couple of times a week, at least I kind of just. For sure. Myself, I feel like to every youth group in my town, you know? Yeah. Your first little mini tour around town, right? <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Now you mentioned a couple bands. What were uh, some of the first bands you really deep dove into that kind of made you feel a connection to music as a kid? I feel like there's two answers to that. There was the first one that gave me kind of the bug that bit me of playing live and enjoying, you know, kind of live music, which while I'm writing, I still apply that nowadays to seeing the things that help crowds react. You know, I'm constantly thinking about that, but it was like a metal band, you know, and it just nothing that applies to music that I work on now at, at all, <laughs> but it was just fun being able to kind of play that really heavy music, you know, and um, watching the kids react to it and like the chanty parts, you know what I mean? Like knowing yeah. the things that kind of made the crowds react and that was the first time I really, when we'd be playing shows around Florida, was like, dude, this is awesome. Like, this is 100% what I want to do. You know, it's obviously more exciting than when you're playing in church or something, you know, because people are just losing their minds. And then there was a pop punk band I played in after that, that kind of got the bug 
that bit me for writing, you know, and I didn't want to just be the drummer in that band because there was like actual melodies and lyrics that were being written. So I kind of had like the live heavy music and then the pop punk stuff was like the more melodic, you know, actually wanting to be a part of sort of the top lining of the vocals. So it kind of like all honed all of that in, you know, kind of at the same time. And that sort of forced me to start playing more guitar and piano. Yeah. Just because I can't really sit there on the snare drum and really articulate what I'm trying to say, you know, to our singer. So totally. I don't know. It was kind of cool seeing people walk around with our merch, you know, and they'd have like lyrics that I'd written and like the bridge of the song or something. And I'd see somebody walking around with like a lyric. And I was like, dude, that is like cool as hell. So now I've got like kind of both of those things. I feel like I was like, dude, I just want to keep performing and just writing. It was really what I wanted, you know, and hearing people sing stuff back, you know, even now getting to hear anyone sing anything back that I've been a part of is just like literally just like better than any high ever. I bet. Now in those first couple bands you were in, were you the one that was kind of pushing for that you guys were going to do original material that you just didn't want to be a cover band, even from a young age? I mean, to be honest, and maybe it was just the people I was in bands with, we, they never wanted to do covers like in either band, like the pop punk, we never did a cover. Then the metal band, there might've been some really old throwback, like New York, like hardcore song or something that like they knew the crowd would get going for, but that was maybe a very small portion of our set. And I don't even think we did that every single time we play. So it was honestly, it was really all original pretty much from the very beginning. That's awesome. What would, uh, what did your writing process look like when you first started going? Were you just sitting with the guitar? Were you co-writing with your bandmates? Yeah, a lot of it was in the pop punk band. A lot of that was writing the way we write with kind of like the metal band. It was just kind of like us just sitting there and jamming and then kind of writing the drum parts as the bass players writing his parts. You know, normally the guitar player would kind of come in with like a riff and then the singer would kind of be over there on a notepad in the corner, you know or a cell phone or whatever. I think I had a sidekick at the time or something. <laughs> but like, then when it came to the pop punk, it was very much that, but then there'd be a portion of the song that like I would kind of just be on a piano by myself, just sort of either tweaking their melodies in the room or by myself. And then I would kind of bring that in as we'd kind of try and track the music, like in a demo phase, you know, while we were writing it, I would kind of go off. And that's where I started really learning like, you know, DAWs and stuff, being able to record my own and program my own piano parts, you know, and put effects on it and then kind of bring them a fleshed out like idea. Mm-hmm. And that was really being, I think it was Reason. Propellerhead Reason was the, uh, the DAW I had on this like really, really terrible laptop. And then that was like the very beginning just to get my ideas to the band, you know, and honestly, it's really just still stuff that I use to this day. For sure. Now, coming out of high school, you and your band went on the road, correct? Yep, we went on the road. I don't think it was very elaborate. It's definitely a band that no one's probably ever heard of, but we played a few festivals, got around the country a little bit, enough to kind of, I think at the time I thought it was awesome, but looking back, I'm glad I kind of ended up behind the scenes and not, you know, just like fighting it out on the road in a van. I mean, it's brutal. So I'm kind of glad I got that like out of the way early on and then found like, another avenue in music to be able to support myself than just like riding around in a van, not showering for like a week, you know, it was brutal, but 
I had a blast and it was good at the time, you know, when I'm younger. Yeah. Now coming, was it coming out of that band that in 2013 you made the decision to move to Nashville? Yeah. There was actually a period where I worked at a studio in my hometown. There was a band that came out of there, a day to remember, and they were pretty big in like the uh, warp tour, kind of like pop punk scene. Yeah. So a lot of people, a lot of bands would come to our hometown to record and write with the guitar player that also recorded my bands as well. So I kind of just went to him and was like, yo, if I work for free, can you just show me what to do to not only get our, us cheap recording rights, but also just be in the studio. Cause I just loved being in there, just recording, you know, and making the music kind of come to life. And so I ended up working with a lot of the bands. I'd work with the singer while he'd work with the band on the music side of things. So then we kind of like would tag team projects like as they'd come through and that kind of got me into like the, uh, you know what I mean? Where I'm not just working for my own band, like I'm actually writing for other people. And it was after that because I had some studio experience um, through a family friend, had a studio here in Nashville, and ended up just kind of being like, yo, I can't pay you, but if you take the trash out, make coffee, I can give you a place at the studio kind of intern and I'll teach you what it's like to work in a professional environment, you know? Totally. And so well, one soon after that, I feel like I was able to start invoicing and really supporting myself just working at the studio. Now, was it like outside of that studio time? Would you go out at night and try to really network uh, with yourself and try to kind of grow your group of people when you first moved to town? Yeah, I think uh, it was just kind of through like a random roommate that I had gotten when I moved to Nashville, just would meet their friends, go meet up with their friends. And then you kind of just start like branching out and meeting all these people. And anyone that had anything to do with music, I was just, we'd always sit and talk about it. I obviously had access to the studio and the guy I was working for, he spent time with his family, you know, probably around five or six. So I could have the studio, you know, as long as I got my work for him done, I could kind of be in the studio sort of tracking. And I definitely used that especially on weekends, you know, I'd kind of invite people over to the studio and be able to like record. And it was nice having like cool gear, you know, to bring people in to kind of start writing after hours. Yeah. Because that was obviously at the time gear that I couldn't afford, you know, so it was just kind of cool being able to have like a live room and then just being able to utilize the things that were in front of me, you know, whenever I had the chance. I hope you guys are enjoying this week's episode following Will's journey in music. And I'd like to take a pause to thank this week's mid-break sponsor, Sun Heist. At Sun Heist, they believe that life is short and adventure is necessary. So that's why they really want you to have a pair of sunglasses that make you look and feel good. I personally wear Sun Heist sunglasses. I have their Alder matte black pair, and I love wearing them if I'm just going to the beach or when I'm traveling. And the best part is, every time you buy a pair of Sun Heist, a tree will be planted by One Tree Planted, a nonprofit organization focused on boosting the environment through global reforestation. So check them out for yourself. Go grab a new pair of sunglasses at sunheist.com. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah. Who was your first group of guys that you kind of was kind of your group that you went to and were writing with a lot when you first moved to town? Um, I don't know if it was anything from that phase of living in Nashville. I think my first group of people that I was really writing with was kind of when I had signed my publishing deal and some of the early people that uh, Warner Chapel had put me with. Yeah. One of the guys that signed, he had signed right before me to a tape room and Warner Chapel. It was Hunter Phelps. Yeah. And actually it's where Ben Johnson is now too. 
Yeah, and so we had like, uh, Wyatt McCubbin, too, uh, is over there, too. We had him on the show. That's right, yeah. So that – Ashley Gorley and then, uh, you know, my uh, point person over at Warner Chapel, I would say that those guys were the first people that I was really – writing with you know the, the people i'd kind of worked with before weren't really doing music full-time you know and i just i think it's nice to be loyal to the group that you've come up with but to an extent you know you want to be working with people that are better than you you know so right it was hard to go from working with people that write full-time to people that kind of do it as a hobby on the side, you know what i mean it kind of turned more into a job so it was like connor phelps jameson rogers smith on brent anderson um, I mean, Hardy back when it, we called him Michael, you know what I mean? Just like in a friend group, we were all in a big group chat and we used to all hang out. So it was just kind of like finding a group of friends that you respect their craft, but you also um, enjoy working with as well. But you can then hang out, you know, we always right. had a good time. For sure. Now getting into some of your uh, biggest songs, uh, one of my favorite songs from a few years ago, Thinking About You, uh, Dustin Lynch, big song. What do you remember about the day you guys wrote that one? Yeah, so we were on a bus. We actually rented a rioters bus to meet the meet up with the tour. So it was the night before me, Andy, and Hunter were coming up with just some ideas. I could get like a little track start or like have a guitar thing with a loop on it just to kind of um, have something to present to Dustin when he because he's pretty like studious when we're on the road. He's like ready to start writing like 10 30 or 11, you know? Yeah. And then we'll ride up until he has to do either sound check, meet and greet, or even after he plays, you know, he'll be back up on the bus wanting to write. So we kind of wanted to have like ideas fleshed out to present to him. And we just, one of them kind of had like a chorus for it, but it was at sort of a different tempo. So we kind of messed with a couple of different feels. I have the, the voice recording of it somewhere on my phone. I'm not sure if I have it on me right this second but no way that's cool we tried a couple different fields with the thinking about you idea and the melodies and then what we ended up on actually kind of ended up being a recognizable form of what it is now you know now was it the and first we day did a couple that... sorry you can... i was gonna say we did a couple of songs that weekend and honestly i didn't i don't know if we thought think about you was the one we knocked out of the park as much as the other song which probably won't see the light of day or hasn't yet you know so it just, I don't know. Now, did you guys already have the idea the first day of the right that you wanted it to be a duet or did that come later on? That I believe, I'm pretty sure he cut a version with him singing the second verse. And it wasn't until we got back to town where Andy Albert had a studio girl um, that he had used for doing demos on other projects was basically like call her up and get her in the studio and we kind of turned it into a duet after that now uh the original version uh features lauren elena and even that version had major success and then uh, about a year later they, it was re-released with mackenzie porter uh do you have a f favorite version of it and uh do you know the reasoning behind why it was re-released uh yeah i don't i don't know if i prefer one or the other they both have such amazing vocals and I don't think they reinvented the wheel from one version to the next, you know I mean? They pretty much kept it the same, but um, I, uh, I know for sure it was just because radio won't play an artist if they have their own single out and they're already featured on another song. Gotcha. And Lauren Elena has just been doing some duets lately where 
to my knowledge, they just weren't able to push our song at radio because she was already on some other things. Mm -hmm. So they just felt like it would be a safer bet to just have somebody else that wasn't already uh, pushing their own single and another duet at radio. I don't know why radio is weird about that stuff, but sometimes they're just kind of like, yeah, we've had enough of this artist right now. Like we're not going to push y'all song because we're already pushing these other songs. So I think they just felt it safer to kind of put somebody else on it. So it wasn't any hard feelings at all. It was just kind of one of those circumstances that if we wanted our song to work, you know, they just had to put somebody else. For sure. And uh, another one of my favorites that you wrote uh, is a worst country song of all time. Uh, it, you mentioned your friend Hardy. Uh, he's on that track. What do you remember about the day you guys wrote that one? Also, uh, super funny song, super clever, clever lyrics for sure. Yeah, that, that one, I feel like it was Hardy where he just kind of threw this crazy idea. Like, what if we literally wrote that title? You know, just the worst thing. And it wasn't even something where like, with thinking about you, there was kind of like a track sort of hashed out that we were listening to looping to come up with melodies. This was just us sitting in the room laughing and just making jokes like, you know, about the things that if this was the worst country song, you know, what would be in it? You know what I mean? And so the song right. was kind of just written like with no music at all, just us kind of sitting there like laughing, just everyone kind of throwing the most ridiculous things out that you could possibly have. So that that was really fun. I felt like, and then the saxophone thing was just like, literally, if we're just going to go for it, I mean, that literally would just take it over the top of being the actual worst. So we, we had the sax added. I found a session player in Nashville, actually, while we were in Texas writing. And we, uh, I sent it to him. And I think I had the saxophone back like later that night, like on the wow. track. That's sick. And that's the exact, that's the same sax that's in the final version, actually. So. That's awesome. Now, stepping away from the songwriting stuff, you also do a lot of stuff on the back end, whether it's producing, playing uh, session instruments. Uh, you've been producing a lot of the new Dylan Scott stuff uh, and even some of your other stuff from Chris Jansen and stuff. Is there any songs that like stick out to you that you remember working on before they came out where you knew like as you were sitting on your laptop that this was going to be a smash? I don't know. And that's probably because I'm pretty self-deprecating. You know, I don't, I don't think I ever am like, yep, that's it, you know. I just kind of try and make it sound as good to me as possible. Like what would make me drive around and listen to this? You know what I'm saying? So as long as I do that and I can drive around and enjoy it, I suppose I kind of, that's about as far as I normally get with it. As far as like thinking it's a smash or not, it's like, do I like it? You know? For sure. Now I like to close out all my interviews by asking my guests, uh, what's a piece of advice that you've learned on your journey kind of through music and what you would tell any artists that are trying to get to where you are right now? I mean, just treat songwriting like working out, you know, if you want like big biceps or, you know, you want to like bench more than everybody else. I mean, you need to go into the gym and push weights around, you know? So it's like, for some reason, I don't feel like I viewed it that way from the beginning. I felt like you have to get lucky and be given certain opportunities to be successful. And I don't think I viewed it as like, no, if you just literally do it longer than other people, you know, and like work harder, that you can actually just do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think just you're like working out, like just make it a point to go in there and just write, like work that muscle in your brain that's like being creative and like coming up with things and then co-writing like learning how to work with different personalities you know and some of them 
are going to be terrible and some of them are going to be great. But either way, take something away from every co-write. Maybe you don't love writing with a person. You won't ever do it again. But maybe there's one thing that they did that you did enjoy. Like they never settled on a line. They always continued to make it better. You know, just because it works in the melody and rhymes maybe doesn't mean that it's the best thing you could possibly do. So I don't know. Take something out of every experience that you're co-writing and just just do it, honestly. Like just get in there and work. Spend if you sit there and work longer, you know, I, I truly believe that you will absolutely get every single thing that you could ever possibly dream of. You know? Well, guys, there you have it. My conversation with Will Weatherly. Will, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I had an awesome time talking with you. Everyone go follow him on Instagram at Will underscore Weatherly. And also check out his new single that just released with Ashley Cook, Getting Into. And make sure to come back next week to hear my conversation with Danny Rader, guitarist for Kenny Chesney. I want to give a big thank you to TBD Coffee Co. for being the official coffee of Starting Small Music. Check them out at tbdcoffeeco.com. Check out Starting Small Music on YouTube to see all the video content from our interviews. And also, follow Starting Small Music on Instagram, at Starting Small Music, and let us know who you'd like to hear on the podcast next. And remember, everyone starts small.